Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Today, our guest is a literary manager and producer who previously worked at talent agencies CAA and Resolution before moving into management at writ large. And after stint in original programming at Netflix, he teamed up with Gavin Dorman at Schemers Entertainment in 2018, where he represents writers and directors for film and television. He is Daniel Seiko. Thanks for joining us today, Daniel. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. Um, And so you've been on the podcast before. Uh, it's always great having you on, and uh, but I do have to ask before we get started, how's everything in your world right now? It's good. Uh, I think I've, I don't want to say adjusted to a new normal, but I've established routines, and I think I've leaned into work even more as a coping mechanism. Uh, I'm definitely working seven days a week, uh, you know, trying to explore new TV shows and movies to kind of break up the day. Super excited for sports to be coming back, but uh, you know, if I could hit a button and fast forward to a vaccine, I think I would do that. <laughs> Understandable. Um, now, we're sort of, I don't want to say we're new on YouTube. We've been on YouTube for a number of years, but just posting little snippet videos or uh, doing the interviews, but really it's, it was designed, our podcast was designed for uh, audio podcast and we just would shoot it sometimes but now with zoom we're actually recording everything and now we're expanding our 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 listening base our viewing base which is exciting so if you're listening on itunes check us out on youtube but if you're watching this on youtube which is great we we thought we'd go back to basics i really wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of it so if you're a long-time listener, you probably know a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, and this is just a refresher, I guess, which is always good. Uh, but if you're uh, a newer viewer and you are a newer writer, I think this is great because we're going to jump back to the beginning, the very beginning. For those writers out there who may have just started your writing career, your writing journey, and have no idea where to begin, this is sort of a representation for Writers 101 with uh, a prominent lit manager, great guy, and a fountain of insightful wisdom and, and brilliance, Dan Seco of Schemers Entertainment. So let's just jump into it. First off, what does a lit rep do and why does a writer need one? Great question. So for me, the way I approach being a literary manager, uh, I think it's being very hands-on in terms of the development process. Uh, If you compare a lit manager versus an agent, I I think a lit manager is going to be a little bit more creative minded, a little bit more hands on, really involved in the uh, development process from going through ideas, explaining why something works, why something doesn't, uh, creating an outline, really going through treatment, just being involved every step of the way from idea all the way to taking it out. I mean, in an ideal world, you would have a manager and an agent. Uh, The manager would really be involved with getting the script in the best shape possible. Once it's ready, the agent may or may not read the script, but, you know, if it's in good shape, uh, the agent becomes responsible for taking the project out, getting buyers interested, setting up meetings, and really just being uh, focused on selling. So if we really had to break it down into just two very separate things, agent is more business focused, sell, sell, sell. A good literary manager is going to be involved in the creative process. Now, approaching it from a newer writer's perspective, if I am a writer and I have what I feel, obviously everyone feels that, but what I have, what I feel is a brilliant screenplay and I want to sell that screenplay. Why would I approach a creative lit manager versus a sales agent? You know what I mean? Why would I? Why, sure. words, they're going to ask this question. Why do I? Why do I need both? And realistically, any script that you may think is in the best shape possible is still going to need some degree of work. Um, it may be a good story on the page. But if it's not a movie on paper, it doesn't really get the traction that it needs. Um, I would say for me, 
if a hundred scripts come across my desk, there may be one that's even worth considering. If I'm engaging on more than one out of a hundred, I'm probably not being tough enough. Uh, someone told me the other day that it's a one in a million shot that a script goes from story to movie. I don't know if that's true, but realistically, those are the odds. So I think you need someone that has the understanding of the landscape, the relationships within the industry, and also just the, the strategy, right? There's the short-term and long-term goals that we set for all of our clients. Uh, there may be a project, great, that you could sell, but how does it set you up going forward? For me, when it comes time to take out a script, and not all my clients have agents, so I, I do take projects out and uh, try to set them up. It's not just about the sale. It's also how do we create business for the next couple of years, right? It's the sale. It's maybe consideration for open writing assignments, conversations that build relationships so that you could bring intellectual property. So it's really just how do we navigate a project so it goes beyond the value of, okay, we sold it for a hundred grand to, wow, this one project sets you up for a few hundred thousand dollars uh, and something that really sustains you from a work standpoint over the course of several years, rather than just a quick one-off and that's it. So, you, sorry, you had mentioned that some of your clients don't have agents. Correct. So I wanted to ask then that do clients need both like if they want because managers can do a lot of what agents do and agents i guess can but don't often do a lot of what managers do very rarely why why does it behoove writers out there to start with a manager versus an agent because you hear that a lot even from agents start with a manager before getting an agent uh, agents are far less receptive to newer clients than managers, why is that? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, I would say that agents are dealing in a volume business. So if maybe I have 30 clients and that's you know, a significant number, there are some agents that may have over a hundred clients. And so the, the depth of the relationship is different. Uh, I'm just gonna be a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more involved, have more weekly communication with a client than say an agent would. An agent's really gonna come into the picture for a particular project. Uh, a line I've used in the past is when a project is kind of falling into the end zone, if it's a, a sure thing that they just need to kind of push it over the edge and, and get the win. Um, so I think like, yeah, I'm, uh, and I, I guess I can speak for most literary managers, you can take more of a chance on development clients, people that don't necessarily have a track record and you can take them that to that next level in terms of where they're at in their career. Getting an agent excited, it has to be, this person is making money, this person is established, this person is completely undeniable in terms of what their monetary value can be to the company. Um, and so for me and other managers, sometimes it's not just, oh, I'm gonna sign this person because I can sell this project, but you see the raw ability, the, the talent. Uh, you see five years down the road. And so it then it becomes on me to get them there. And so an agent's not going to do that because they don't have the bandwidth. That's not how their business is structured. Realistically, for me, you know, we have three tiers of clients. There's the top tier clients that have sold projects, that are established, that it's easy to get the meetings. There's the middle tier clients that are either on the cost, maybe have one thing. And then there's the people that are really long-term plays that realistically maybe one out of five will make it. And that's kind of how I structure my business. Uh, an agency or a good agency, a good agent, they're all going to have top tier clients that are all working, that are all making money, maybe one or two. Well, let's see. But realistically, that's not the model. That's not what keeps the lights on at a place like CAA or ICM or WMA. And in terms of commission, because everyone knows that agents and managers, they take a commission. What is that? And how much do they you charge? Sure. So standard would be 10% for agents, 10% for managers, and 5% for uh, entertainment lawyers. Sometimes managers also produce. And so in lieu of taking a producing fee and also um, 
a commission on say the sale of a project, they'll just take a flat 15%. I've seen that with some bigger clients that have managers. Uh, it's not something that I do. I'm not really a producer. Uh, it's not my focal point. I've kind of separated that. I have a producing partner who really handles the day-to-day -day on that side of the business. Uh, but yeah, the, the general split is 10, 10, five. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard that on the producing side, uh, a producer can forego commission in lieu of a producing fee if the producing fee is sizable. And there are advantages and disadvantages to that as well. Um, there have been a lot of conversations about potential conflict of interests, but then also there's been a lot of uh, conversations about that actually being beneficial for writers. It totally depends on the manager and the relationship. Um, we won't delve too far into that right now because uh, we've covered it in, in many other podcasts. So go to our website, scriptsandscribes.com. There are lots of other lit managers, including more with Dan Seco, uh, where you can get more information on uh, writer, director, uh, manager relationships and how that works and that kind of thing. But I did want to talk a little bit about uh, managing uh, a client and how does a writer know when they're sort of ready for representation? Like when is too soon for a writer to go, hey, I've got a screenplay. I want to get this out there. I, I, it's going to sell. I, I need an agent or a manager, probably a manager first, which is what we're recommending. But I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe their uncle was a friend of somebody who was good friends with an agent and that, that works out. But generally speaking, managers are more approachable. But when is a writer ready for representation and how do they know? There's a lot of different ways to really gauge readiness. Uh, I would say if you've written the first draft of your first script, it's probably not ready to send. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I would say that uh, you shouldn't tell a manager that you have 10 scripts that are ready to sell. That's that's another warning sign for me. I generally think that, you know, it's maybe two to three projects that are great that you've been getting good responses on from. I'm not going to say contests and fellowships. Sure, that that can help. Um, but I, I need to say this. There are great scripts that don't place in reputable contests. There are bad scripts that place very high. So there is a arbitrary nature to that. I'm more inclined to check out a semifinalist or a finalist of a reputable contest than I am a second rounder. I think a second round, if someone's sending me a query and it's like, oh, I made second round at Austin. It's like, cool. Like, it doesn't get me excited. It, it makes me almost disinterested. Uh, I would say that there's a pecking order in terms of how I pay attention to scripts that come on my radar. The top of the apex uh, of the pyramid would be an agent saying, hey, here's someone that's vetted. Uh, they're, they're a client. They're looking for a manager. Take a look. Great. Like, that means that they're They've done something and it's absolutely worth my time. I've definitely said no to that before if it's not a good fit, but that definitely gets me the most excited. Um, another way would be a producer saying, hey, came across this project. They don't have reps yet. It's really good. It's not necessarily something that we're taking on, but I think you should sign them. And I've signed a few people that way. And it's good knowing that other people in the industry are getting excited about that person, getting excited about that work. And it just makes my life that much easier. Uh, another way would be senior managers at other companies that I have relationships with uh, saying, hey, I read this. It's great. I don't have the bandwidth, but you should sign them. And so like that is something that's interesting. Like I definitely pay attention to that. Um, another way and maybe even more important than the previous method would be clients of mine saying, hey, I read this script. It's awesome. You need to meet with them. They're a good friend of mine, or I run in similar circles with them. And I actually have signed a few people that way. And that's great too, because especially if it's coming from a great client that has good taste and is a good writer, uh, it's just another set of eyes that's giving me like more urgency to check it out. Uh, you know, contest, sure. Uh, I'm not super into that, but I would say I've had really good success signing clients off of the blacklist. And I don't mean the end of the year list. I, I just been going on to the blacklist website, looking at log lines. Uh, I think this is such an important thing to point out. I care 10 times more about the log line than I do about the score. 
I'm sure there are plenty of people that have their friends that have blacklist accounts that go on and they give the script an eight or a nine or a 10. That's bullshit. Like I have no interest in that. The most important thing is what is the project? What is the concept? Uh, that's what sparks me. That's what gets me interested. And we've signed plenty of clients off of that that are now working writers that have sold scripts that are getting meetings that are moving forward in their career. And then I would say at the bottom of the list is query emails, where I've never signed someone off of that. I still look at them. But realistically, it's look at the log line. Okay, if it's good, check out the script, you know, give it a few pages and see if it's for me. But usually it's it's not. It's not the best way to find new clients. Right. And you had mentioned two important ways to approach an agent or a manager in what you had just said. Specifically, referrals, which is obviously the best, and queries, which I don't want to say is the worst, but it's definitely when you have fewer options, right? So maybe you can go into a little bit first. We'll talk about referrals. And then we can talk a little bit about queries because those are the two ways that you'll probably get approached other than contests, which obviously is pretty self-explanatory. You enter a contest, you place, you win. That you, you If it's a reputable and prominent contest like Nickel or Austin or something like that, a lot of reps look at the winners of those just as second nature. You see what's on the list, you read the log line. If you like it, you read that script. So that is less of a conversation for us right now, but... Uh, what we will talk about is referral. What is a referral other than somebody that you know or respect in the business calling you and saying this is a great writer? And how does a writer get one? Yeah, I mean, there's the, oh, I'm at a barbecue and someone's friend wrote a script. and that, That's not a referral in my mind. I mean, look, the way some of these referrals have worked, it's, you know, people have gone to film school together and one person has gone on the, executive track and the other has gone down the writer track and they're doing a solid for their friend. And sometimes it is a really good script. Um, sometimes people will make certain lists and, and they'll, they'll look at scripts that way. And, and executives may get to it a little bit more quickly than, than a rep would and say, Hey, I vetted this list. There's a couple people here. You know, it's just, it's something that comes up in casual conversation. Uh, you know, if you think about, the meetings that a manager would have with a producer or an executive. Yeah. It's about, you know, how can I help you? How can I do business? And then it's also just some small talk, right. And things like that come up. Like I always ask when I meet with an executive or producer, what have you read lately that you've liked? And that's generally how it's happened. It's not like, Oh shit, I got to get Dan Seco this, this particular script. I have to put myself out there. Look like, they generally want to satisfy their relationships with a lot of people. So if they're sending it to me, they're probably going to send it to five others and that's fine. Like that's a, those are better odds than like just cherry picking off of the end of the year blacklist where there's a hundred people, uh, you know, just going for uh, one particular writer. I don't want to play that game. Like I, I, I don't, I don't need Hollywood to say, Oh, this is great. I'd rather, you know, I, I want someone slightly off the radar. I'm, I'm willing to turn over a few stones and really dig deep to find people. But it does help when there is some degree of, hey, I read this. You should check it out, too. Now, what qualifies as a referral that would move the needle? For example, obviously, if an A-list director or producer or a network studio executive called you and said, I read a great script from this writer and they're looking for representation that would pique your interest. Uh, or if it's from a client of yours and said, I have a friend who's also a writer and they just are leaving their manager, obviously move the needle. It's people whose opinions you respect or people who are prominent in the industry. That's fairly obvious as things, as, as referrals that would make an impact. But what other referrals might make an impact. If it comes from an assistant in an agency, does it move the needle? If it comes from a, a, a film school professor at a prominent film school, USC, NYU, AFI, does that move the needle? If it comes from somebody, like an assistant on, uh, a, a showrunner's assistant, and comes from that assistant, not necessarily for them, because obviously a showrunner's assistant probably wants to be a, a TV writer, so obviously they'd be approaching you directly, but maybe they have somebody that they want to refer to you 
what where is the line what moves the needle for you in terms of other than obviously working professionals or people who have a direct relationship with you sure uh, i would say i'm open to those avenues i can't say that i've had any success I've, i mean i've participated on enough panels that i have relationships with professors at schools and they send things to me um, I have friends that work in the industry that are not necessarily executives, producers, writers, or creatives uh, that still have a pulse on things. And, you know, it's not the same priority. Um, I, I can't say that I have relationships with assistants at this point. Thankfully, most of my friends have either moved on to become executives, writers, directors, or have left the business. Um, but I would say, like, when I was earlier in my career and I was still like, okay, I'm an assistant, but I know I'm going to be a manager. I would take those referrals from anybody just to try to help the people that I was working for. So I would say like, if those relationships, if I was still a friends with a, a showrunner's assistant or a talent agent assistant, yeah, of course I would take a look at that because they are the future. They are, you know, a class or two, if you will, behind me in terms of becoming the next producer, uh, executive, director, writer, whatever. Um, so I think like being mindful of, hey, you should treat everyone within this ecosystem with some degree of respect. And if they feel really passionate about something and they put it on your radar, then I do think it is worth considering. Um, I have a lot of friends that are writers that are not my clients. And it's a mixed bag of they want to respect me, but they want to do solids for their friends. And I'd say it doesn't make me the most excited to get referrals from them because I have to kind of think of, well, are they just doing something nice for their friend? And it's like maybe good enough. And I don't know, that sometimes becomes a waste of time. Right, right. And moving on to queries, because that's the other way other than a referral that or competition, I suppose, that people, writers will approach you. And, okay, so first off, I guess we can explain what is a query and what goes into a query. Sure, uh, a query would be a, a submission from a unrepped writer, kind of introducing themselves, talking about their projects, a little bit about their background, uh, basically asking me if I would be interested in taking a look at their projects for consideration for representation. Uh, for schemers, we kind of created a submission system through our website uh, just to kind of protect ourselves from a legal standpoint. Writers can go on there, they can fill out a release form and then submit the script to our info email address. So it doesn't go directly to myself or Gavin, uh, my producing partner. Uh, I still get plenty of queries through my personal work email address. Uh, it's not that I just immediately delete them. I, I take a look. Um, sometimes writers will just throw like 15 scripts into that email without even asking if I want to take a look. And, you know, that's, that's interesting. Uh, there are writers that I declined, you know, to pursue them as clients and they still email me you know like clockwork every week hey you sure you sure and it's like you're digging yourself deeper in terms of really destroying any chances of me wanting to work with them you know sometimes i'll get a query i'll read it it's good it's not good enough i'll tell that to the writer like hey you have the chops this isn't necessarily the project that's going to move the needle for you but if you have a future project that you feel strongly about reach out again and I would say that's generally the ceiling of what kind of engagement I've had with queries. I have not signed someone off of a query. There was a query that I thought was a query, but it was really just a client telling uh, the writers to email me. And so we ended up signing them, but it was really more of my client recommended them. It just felt like a query. I don't know. That, that's the closest I've been, but I guess that's not technically getting signed off of that approach. And you would mention getting emails either through the site or through your personal email now the clever aspiring writer out there will think oh well i could approach dan on facebook or linkedin or twitter are these good options why or why not so 
LinkedIn is so disconnected from Hollywood. I think the best like way to explain it is my former boss at CAA still lists that he works at Paradigm and he hasn't <laughs> been at Paradigm for like seven years. So it's like that that's you know, that's how much real players in Hollywood give a fuck about <laughs> LinkedIn. I go on there just out of amusement to just see what kind of stuff like comes up. I never engage. It's just not worth it. Um, I've noticed in the past couple months, more writers friending me on Facebook that I've never met. I don't like that. I don't like going onto Facebook and then just seeing a whole bunch of strangers. But in reality, I want to see, you know, friends from high school or family or people that I'm really friends with. Um, but I would say that since fall of last year, I've really put myself out there on Twitter. I rebranded my page to mostly reflect my life as a literary manager versus maybe where it was the last 12 years, uh, focusing on like sports and food and social commentary and things like that. And so I do allow people to reach out to me that way. My, my DMs are open, I guess is the best way to phrase it. Um, sometimes they'll send me a log line. I'll take a look. Uh, if, if they send me like a giant query and message that, that I have no interest in that. But like, you know, there's a way where you can engage me. You can comment on my tweets. You can build like a relationship of sorts. Um, and I think I'm more open to that because it allows me to get a good sense of who this person is. I mean, look, it's easy to hide behind social media. Sure. But it gives me a better snapshot of who these people are than just a query email does. Um, so I would say I, I'm not looking to get bombarded on Twitter but I'm more inclined to give those a better shot. If it's someone that's followed me, that's commented that I've, I've gotten to know a little bit through their tweets versus someone that's just sending me a query email. Right. And how much information is too much in a query? A lot of writers out there will write their background because they think you want to know where they got their degree from or that they were a semifinalist in this contest or whatever it happens, whatever they think is relevant. And so you get queries that are very brief and very long, depending on how much they want to send you. How much information is, do you like to see in a query and how much is too much? Sure. Um, I'd like to see a shorter query rather than a longer query. You know, it goes back to what I said earlier in our conversation. It should be like two to three projects that you feel really strongly about, not a laundry list of everything you ever wrote. I think that's an immediate red flag. Uh, I don't want to see second rounder things. If you, know, if you made the semifinals or the finals of, say, a nickel or an Austin, great, put that. If you have an interesting background that furthers your urgency as a writer, put that. I would like, and look, I know that not everyone has the time, but if you really want it, you'll do it. Write a different email for everyone. You know, don't, don't go onto my IMDB page and like say, so-and-so and so-and-so are my favorite writers ever. It's like, well, you're, you're full of shit. But it'd be cool if you're like, oh, wow, I saw that you had To the Stars come out in April. I watched it. It's great. Like, congratulations. That is a realistic, like, okay, maybe they actually did do that. Um, and I think it shows that extra level of effort and makes me more inclined to give them a shot versus someone sending me an email, like calling me like James or something. I've gotten so many weird queries where it's like the wrong name or the wrong company or just like assumptions about me. And it's like, why would you do that? Why would you just bring more variables into play that are just going to fuck you in the end? I don't know. Um, now what's the danger of a writer approaching a rep too, too early in their career? Sure. I would say that if you send over something that is just brutally bad, I'm less inclined to review a future submission. Um, you know, I'd say a query can work. People have been signed off of queries but I would use that as a last resort. I would almost think of every possible other way that you could exhaust any relationship, any connection, anything you may have that allows you to forego that process and really just utilize something a little bit more significant. Um, 
You know, I just think that a query is the lowest level priority for me. And the assumption is that it's going to be a pass. And I think that as much as I don't want to speak for other reps, that has to be the mindset for the majority of them that we've all read enough queries. 99.9% of them are, are not what they need to be. I, I just don't really think that it's something that's going to advance someone's career. It's, it's playing the lottery, but like, I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a winner. Mm-hmm. Right. And in terms of, of querying, um, how many queries do you get a week, per, for example, on average? Whether it's through the schemer site or your own personal, or even people approaching you to read something or, su- or suggesting you read something on Facebook and LinkedIn and all these, like a combination of all these different sources or even referrals too. I mean, how many, how often are you approached and how many times are you approached to read material that's not from clients or obviously a business uh, opportunity? I'd say it's, it's over a hundred a week easily. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times where it's even more than that. And if I really consider every aspect in which someone may approach me, it almost gets overwhelming at times. And so realistically, if, if it's a busy week in terms of what I have to do for my clients, the amount of effort and energy that I put into reviewing the queries is like uh, as simple as reading the log line. And if it's not something that piques my interest, delete it. Uh, or I, I look at the email and there's typos, delete it. Or I look at the first page and uh, it's very dense or it's improperly formatted. I, I'm literally looking for any reason to say no, which may sound cruel, but it, it has to be reinforced that this is a business at the end of the day. If it's not something that's going to lead to me making money, I'm only hurting myself and my company because I could be spending my time on clients that are making money that have projects that need my attention. There's always something to do. And I think that's something that writers need to consider that reps are not just sitting waiting for your queries. It's just not a priority. And so I cannot stress it enough that if there's some other way to get a script on someone's radar, please explore that avenue. And I wanted to to talk about something you said earlier in the podcast and refer back to that to touch on what you're saying now is that I want to reiterate that it's also subjective in that you want a rep who is passionate about you and your material as a writer. And I think that just because it doesn't resonate with you as a manager doesn't mean that it won't with another manager. But at the same time, if it doesn't resonate with you, you're not going to do the best job selling that writer and their material. So it, it behooves them that if you don't resonate with their material, it doesn't necessarily mean that no one will. And rather than pushing a manager to continue to read and continue, hey, are you sure? Are you sure? Find somebody who is passionate about you and your material because they will do a better job selling you and your material. I just wanted to throw that in there. No, that's a great point. Um, I would say that absolutely factors into how I approach the clients that I assign. There are great scripts that were really well written that I just didn't care about. And so if I don't care about it, uh, what's my energy level? What's my approach? What's my interest in really spending my time to move something forward? And so, yeah, you're totally right. It is so subjective. There are plenty of clients that I have on my roster that maybe others wouldn't sign, but something about what they wrote just truly resonated with me. And so that level of enthusiasm on my end is just ultimately going to make them a better writer going forward versus someone that may have more talent, but I just don't necessarily see it. It it becomes a real uphill battle. Uh, I would say that, you don't need a hundred people to raise their hand for your project. You shouldn't change your project because one thing didn't click for one rep. It's about finding that one in a hundred that flips out for what you have, believes in your vision, and you can work together as a team 
to get it in the best shape possible and move it forward as a viable project. I think that is super important to stress. It's about the right fit. And if someone is just lukewarm, probably not the best relationship to start to build. Right. And I wanted to go back to queries really quickly and also talk about, because a lot of writers are not in Los Angeles and they may not have the plan to come to Los Angeles unless their career demands it, i.e. they're making money and, and they need to be here for a reason. So I wanted to ask you, because I know it gets asked of me a lot, does it, man- does it matter, excuse me, does it matter if a writer is based in Los Angeles and if they're not, should they put that in their query? That's a great question. I would say that if you're writing just features, you don't have to be in LA. If you want to get staffed on a show, ideally you would be in LA or New York, maybe to a lesser degree, say London. There's a little bit more in terms of UK projects. I have clients that live all over the world. Uh, I just signed a director that lives in Brazil. I have a writer that's in the UK. I have a director that's in Toronto. I have a writer that's in Vancouver. I mean, just all over. And, you know, domestically, New Jersey, Oklahoma, uh, I mean, just plenty of New York, Connecticut, just lots of different places. So I don't know if you necessarily need to say in your query that you're not LA based. If it gives me a better sense of who you are as a person, you know, if you live in Australia and, you know, if you live somewhere that I'm not saying exotic, but just different, right? Whatever gives me a sense that you have a specific point of view that you were introducing something new to the conversation in terms of whatever you're tackling, that may help. Um, but you don't need to be like, Hey, sorry, I live in Florida. I don't want to live in LA. You know, that, that just diminishes the enthusiasm of the query. I think it's, you know, it's a discussion to be had. Uh, I would just say that if you want to staff, try to get to LA, if not, you can make it work. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so the next step. Now, say a writer's work impresses you, their pilot or their feature or their reel, whatever impresses you, and you agree to meet with them, whether it's via Zoom uh, or whether it's in person because they live in LA. What does that meeting look like? And what kind of things do you talk about? What kind of questions do you ask of them? For me, I need to get to know them as a human being. Um, I've worked with too many people in the past at different companies that are very talented, but not necessarily the kind of people that I'd want to hang out with or bring to dinner with my wife or really just engage on another level. Um, And I think like, I need to believe that I can trust this person that if I send them out on meetings with producers, executives, agents, whatever, that they come across in a really positive way and they reflect me, the company, and the other clients uh, in a positive manner. So what does that conversation look like? I, I want to get to know them. I want to get to know them on a really meaningful level. You know, what inspires them? What drives them? What's held them back from enjoying the success that they wanted? What are their goals going forward? What What is the relationship that they see in their mind that, that would be successful for them in terms of writer or director and then manager. Um, I think just seeing if we can be a good fit as people, that gets me the most excited. I I have definitely declined opportunities with super talented writers and directors that just didn't feel like the right fit on a personality level. You know, talent is one thing. Talent starts the conversation. I have signed great human beings that are very good writers or directors. And that is more interesting to me than eh, questionable people with great talent. I'd rather take the shot on the awesome human being because I know that they're going to be the type of person that everyone else within the Hollywood bubble really responds to. And, and this is all a game, right? Like if you're not thinking on that level as a rep, you're setting yourself up for failure. Now, there was a time in the past where it just was about talent, just about you know what can they deliver. But I think we have shifted in terms of the society and who you are as a human being counts for probably even more than who you are on the page. All right, absolutely. Um, now, what sort of time frame does it take before a writer 
is working, like a paid, their first gig on average? I know it's a tough question. Every career is different, but can you go over how you've broken maybe a couple of clients in the past, you know, the stages of their early career and about how long it took and what was involved in that process? Sure. So not every client that I sign is someone that's raw or never sold something. Sure. So, you know, I would say right now, just in terms of the climate, I'm, I've probably graduated to the position where I'm signing people that have credits, that have shot films, that have some footprint within the industry. Um, I would say that if I'm signing someone new, the talent and the potential has to be through the roof because it's really hard to break someone. And I talked about, you know, the tiers within the client list. If they're a development client, meaning that, you know, they're, they're someone I'm really taking a shot on or flyer on, what is that conversion rate? You know, it, it could be one in five, one in four in terms of someone that goes from, all right, like they're raw and brand new to selling a project or taking a project out and setting up meetings. Um, I've had a couple clients in the past few years that I've been with them for a year and it just hasn't clicked and it seemed like maybe they're better off with someone else and I have to be willing to let them go. I, I can't just keep trying and trying and trying. If it's not happening from a business standpoint, I need to move on. And so in terms of what are the expectations, you know, if I sign someone, I'll give them at least a year, probably more than that. Uh, I would say realistically, it's going to take at least six to nine months before someone is in good enough shape that they should expect to make money. Some clients, it's taken as much as two years, but then it's just been a, a waterfall from there. The best example is we signed a writer off of the blacklist. Uh, he was a TV writer at that point. He had an amazing pilot. We were able to attach a producer to it. They took it out. He got beat out by a much bigger version of the same, basically the same project, but just bigger elements that were attached. Okay. Same thing happened with his next project. Tons of A-list producers and directors were super interested in it, but like a mega star had a similar project. So he was a bridesmaid two times over. Realistically, those, those are great shots that we were taking and maybe just a little bit of bad luck. He decided that he wanted to start writing features. He wrote a feature. We didn't even know about it. It just shows up one day. And I hate when that happens, but he was talented enough to kind of get away with it. I read it. Within two weeks, it was good enough to take out, which is super uncommon. That never happens. And I sold it. And then I set him up with uh, an open writing assignment. And then we got him an agent. So it, I, I hate to say that like, oh, just put in your... 322 days and then you'll make money. Every path is different. I think it really is predicated on the resiliency of the writer. How many times can you be knocked down and stand back up, not to be cliche, but I think it really takes that. Uh, the expectation that the script that you get signed off of becomes a thing, you know, that's the goal now. We signed someone, we signed a writing team in March. Uh, it was good enough to get made. We decided to produce it. We found a director and it's moving forward in pre-production. So did we sell it? No, but it's moving forward and it's going to make them money. And that's great. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm at now. If I'm signing a writer client, it's either I feel like we can produce the project internally and put it together or with a little bit of workshopping and back and forth in terms of getting it in the best shape possible, I can take it out with the expectation that Hopefully it's signed. It, it, it sells. Uh, I don't really want to sign someone off of just a sample in terms of where the marketplace is right now. Out of respect for producers and executives, I'm not going to just send something out that is a writing sample right now. It's just, it doesn't feel like it's the appropriate approach. I'd rather just hold back and wait for something that has, you know, a little bit more urgency behind it. So. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at in terms of how I'm approaching clients. Mm -hmm. And does a hyphenate make a difference in their appeal to you as a lit rep, meaning a writer director, assuming they're really good at both, 
does it make a difference to you whether they're a writer director versus just a screenwriter or they only want to be a television writer versus what people who are you know writers who are willing to do or interested in have samples in both or multiples earlier in my career i would say back when i worked at caa there's an agent there that reps like 20 a-list writer directors and you know makes a killing makes seven figures a year his clients have an amazing track record and so i always thought that was my goal have 10 to 20 clients that write and direct uh no now i i i think that it's very very rare to find clients that are equally good at writing as they are at directing they're generally better at one or the other uh, most often it's directors that write are probably better at directing than they are writing that's usually what i i've, I've found so is it something that interests me? I'd say I'm neutral at this point. I've had better success bringing projects to directors rather than trying to move forward projects that directors have written themselves. That's just my approach. There are plenty of reps out there that get very excited by the multi-hyphenates. And again, it was something I was excited about earlier on in my career, but maybe it's not something that I fully realized at this point. Right. And I guess last question I wanted to run by you, it ties back to the, when is a writer ready? How much material, objectively speaking, that is quality material? Because every writer that has been doing it for a while has probably has a sizable amount of material. How much material should a writer have before seeking a rep? I'd like to say at least two great scripts, mm -hmm. three, even better. I think you could expand that a little bit if you're doing both features and television. I would say at least two of each. Um, but I think you need to know in your head which one is your best, right? Like if you're going to go go out with your strongest uh, script possible to start and then if someone on my end likes it, they're gonna to ask to read something else. It's gotta be close. I don't expect it to necessarily be better, but it has to show something else, right? It, it, it's similar territory. I, I'll, I'll put it this way. The most recent script should be your best script. If it's not, then there should be a little, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? If you send me your, your best script and it's something you wrote three years ago, and then you send me something else and you just wrote it and it's nowhere near as good, but you think it's, you know, it's a final draft. Uh, that's a little bit problematic. So I would say it's got to be close two to three, both TV and, and features. Um, the biggest killer for me is, oh, I only have one script or, oh, I have 20 that are amazing. Just avoid those. And I think that's probably the best approach. That's how you're going to get the best response from someone like myself. And actually, I lied. There's one more question that sort of ties into that, which is mixing of genres. There are a lot of writers out there who want to write a bunch of different things. They have a great Western. They have a great comedy. They have a great romantic comedy. They have a great action comedy. They have a great sci-fi script. They have a great thriller or a horror film. What does that do for your, uh, in terms of approaching you as a manager, in terms of like, do you view that as valuable or not? I'd say a lot of managers would say the phrase, stay in your lane, do the one thing that you're great at. I, I don't take that approach. I'm a person with myriad interests myself. So I respect the artistry of it in the sense that there are some writers that maybe have a track record of being great at horror that want to do rom-coms. I think it's this, it's gotta be a similar level of quality. It's one thing if you're great at horrors and then and then your, your rom-coms are just brutal, right? Like rom-com then becomes a hobby. And if you're spending time on a hobby, it shouldn't take away from the business, the things that make you money, that open up doors for you, that leads to sales and meetings and things like that. Um, I, I'd say, again, it, it, it's my approach. A lot of reps really want you to brand yourself as, hey, he's the grounded sci-fi guy, or hey, she does action comedy two-handers. 
So in terms of advice to people, you know, be consistent, you know, but be mindful of if you are great at a few different things, that versatility could be helpful, but it's not something that's going to resonate for everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, last words, last advice for writers out there. What advice do you have for them? What, what advice would you give to writers out there who are sort of starting out their journey? I think having resiliency is incredibly important. Um, you may get signed out of USC film school and sell a show that becomes a smash hit, but that shouldn't be the expectation. I think it comes with putting in the time and the due diligence and building out relationships, really just exhausting what you leave nothing on the table. Uh, there shouldn't be a sense of entitlement. This isn't, oh, I want an accounting job uh, at some middle of the road company. This is, I want to sell, I want to make TV shows and movies, right? Like that, that's akin to being a professional athlete or an astronaut or anything else that is inspiring, right? You, you shouldn't feel like you are owed that. Earn it, take it, you know, just be the best version of yourself and just don't give up. Like it, all the cliches are true. Um, I, I think that having a meaningful network of writers that support you, relationships with people within the industry, if you are ever afforded that opportunity, but also being mindful to give more than you take. I, I hate when people just try to take, 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 or, or just only want to have a relationship with me because of what I can do for them. I refuse to operate that way. Life is too short. There are easier ways to make money. You will go farther if you are decent and approach it with a sense of humility. It's easier said than done, but at least give yourself a shot. There are so many ways for you to take yourself out of the game before you've even stepped onto the field. Play by the rules, do things the right way. I think just being a decent human being is something that is almost the foundation for anything at this point going forward. Good advice. Thank you so much for coming back on, Dan. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, and you're going to stick around for a few minutes to chat on the unscripted after show on Patreon? Yep, absolutely. Uh, and be sure to follow Dan on Twitter. It's at Daniel J. Seco, uh, S E C O. He has a lot of great tips and advice and insights into screenwriting and Hollywood in general. So be sure to follow Dan on Twitter. It's at Daniel J. Seco, S-E-C-O. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to askatscriptsandscribes.com or send us, send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. And thank you all for listening. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Kevin. And thanks, guys. See you next time.